the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Before you become a believer, you, you and I can get away with a lot of things, just like the world does, because it lives by a different system a different value system, a different code of honor. Once you become a Christian, you now live by a completely different code of honor. And you have to do some things right that previously maybe we weren't even convicted about. And doing things that are right as a Christian are not always easy either. You know, to own up to something. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philemon. As followers of Christ, we're no longer under the ever-changing moral standards of society, but under the standards and guidance of the Spirit. As you've no doubt experienced in your own life, we as believers are now convicted by things that we probably wouldn't have given a second thought to before coming to Christ. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, this is a sure sign of the indwelling of God's Spirit. In his study, you'll be reminded that as recipients of God's grace, we have been given a whole new code of honor. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The literal definition for refresh means repetitive pausing. Just like, just pause. Just put, it, put life on pause. We need to sometimes just put life on pause that we might be refreshed. And so he, he's commending Philemon here. He says, your, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. You, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I mean, I mean you know, he's, he's, not, he's not pouring it on thick just to flatter Philemon. But, he, but, he, but he's saying, listen, this is your reputation. This is what you're, you're known for. By the way, if people had to write down what you're known for, you know, what would they say? So this is very challenging to us, that some of the first things that come to Paul's mind concerning Philemon's reputation is he's a man of faith, and he's a man of love, he's a man of encouragement, he refreshes people, I mean, you know, just a great guy to want to be around. And then he adds here in verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do whatever you ought to do, this is where he says, you know, I, I could assert my apostolic authority here, I could. You know, he, he writes it that way. Don't you love it? You know, I could. I could order you to do this. But forget I just said that. Yet, he says in verse 9, I appeal to you. you know, I appeal to, I want you to do this yourself. Not because I say so. 
I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, maybe he's tugging on his heartstrings there, you know, I'm old. I'm in jail, all right? Doesn't get much worse than that. I'm old and in jail. So I'm appealing to you with love. I appeal to you, verse 10, for my son Onesimus. Now he names him in the letter. And Philemon's probably like, what? You know where Onesimus is? Now, again, this is not a biological son of Paul's. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, because he's like a spiritual dad to Onesimus, and then he adds, who became my son while I was in chains. So you can underline that in your Bibles. What that means is I led him to Christ. He became my son while I was in chains here in Rome. I led him to Christ. So your runaway slave who stole from you is now a believer. He accepted Christ. He became my son while I was in chains. And he said in verse 11, formerly, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, this is a play on words because the name Onesimus in the Greek means useful. So, he, so he's like, he's, he, he wasn't useful to you compared to his use now for the kingdom's sake. And so he's, he's, it's a play on words, the, the definition of Onesimus' name. He says, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And he says in verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I'm sending him back. Now again, you know, why wouldn't Paul just say, okay, you've gained your freedom and now you're free in Christ. You know, don't go back to Philemon because he wants Onesimus to face the music. You got to make restitution here and you got you to do what's right because now that you're a believer, Onesimus, you, you're going to have to live by a different code. And that's true for all of us. Before you become a believer, you, you and I can get away with a lot of things, just like the world does, because it lives by a different system, a different value system, a different code of honor. Once you become a Christian, you now live by a completely different code of honor, and you have to do some things right that previously maybe we weren't even convicted about. And doing things that are right as a Christian are not always easy either. You know, to own up to something, to take responsibility for something. So many people in our culture these days don't want to take responsibility for anything. They want to blame everybody. They don't want to own anything these days. You know, well, you know, I didn't get enough hugs. That's the way I am. Really? Well, you know, why don't you own up to it? Well, you know, it was because of this. It was because of that. And we want to blame everybody and everything we can to justify ourselves. But when you become a Christian, you have to realize, okay, there might have been some things that happened in my life, but I need to take responsibility in so much as it depends on, on me and own some stuff. This is the reason why Paul is sending Onesimus back. You need to face the music. You need to own up to some of the things you've done, and you need to make it right. I'm going to talk more about this at the end, but just check that away for the moment. And he says in verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. You know, if I had my preference, I would have just kept him with me. He's, he's of good service to me. But he says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So, again, do you see how he's appealing to Philemon as a brother, not just asserting his authority here? 
He's like, yeah, I, I'm wanting you to, to respond to Onesimus w- with a heart that is motivated spontaneously and not just uh, because I say so. I don't want you to feel forced here. I want you to do the right thing out of love. And he adds in verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Okay, but now notice, but no longer as a slave. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. As a dear brother. Again, Christianity is the great equalizer. He says to Philemon, I'm going to challenge you. I'm sending Onesimus back. I do not want you to put him in chains again. I'm appealing to you as a brother in Christ. I could order you to do this, but please, as a friend, you're known for love. You're known for loving all the saints. You're known for faith and encouragement. Please, please, I don't want you to be forced in doing this, but I'm appealing to you on the basis of your faith in Christ as a fellow believer in Christ with you. I want you to take Onesimus back. Don't put him in chains again. Don't put him in chains. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, consider him as a dear brother, as a dear brother. And he says, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So you know, again, he, he's like, this is Galatians 3.28, you know, neither Jew nor slave, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ. He says, I, I want you to take him in as a dear brother. He uses that term brother twice there in verse 16. And then in verse 17, he says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And then he adds in verse 18, here's, here's where we get the inference that he has stolen from Philemon. Because he says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then I love this, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Which is probably an indication that Paul led Philemon to Christ too. And so he kind of works that in there. So he's like, you know, listen, I want you to take him back. I want you to treat him like a brother. You know, I, I, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I'll pay it back. By the way, not to mention that you owe me, right? You owe me your very life. Years ago when, when Austin was, he was probably, I don't know, five, four or five years old, and we were at Walmart, and this was back when Walmart here in Leesburg actually had a little cafe area when you first walked in. How many of you remember when Walmart had a little cafe area? Okay. I don't know. Cafe, that isn't the right word. I mean, they, they didn't, I don't even know they sold coffee. It was like pretzels and like, you know, nachos and these kind of things. And so we, we're in there. I'm in there with the kids, and I think Terry's, Terry's uh, shopping. And, and so Austin is eating a cheese stick. You know, and they come out really hot and say, wait till it cools, wait till it cools. So he's eating a cheese stick. And they're long and stringy. They should be outlawed. They should just be outlawed. Because he got the thing caught in his throat. And he couldn't, and he couldn't breathe. And, it, and I'm like, swallow, swallow, swallow. And he wasn't swallowing. So I, I actually had to do the Heimlich on him. And man, that thing popped out across the room. And once in a while, I'd remind him. Uh, you owe me your very self. Uh, you know, so behave. I saved your life, and, uh, and so you owe me. And that's kind of what's happening right here, uh, where, where Paul's just like, you know, I want you to do what's good, but by the way, I, I kind of saved your life. Uh, you owe me your very self, so do what's right. 
I haven't reminded him, by the way, about that in, in, until tonight. But, um, but it's always a good one to kind of pull out every now and again. Just remember, a cheese stick, you know, save your life. Okay, verse 20. He says, I, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience. Don't you like that? He's like, I'm, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you're, you're going to obey what I'm saying, even though I'm, I'm not telling you you have to. Because I don't want you to feel forced. But, but he said, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna surpass my, my, my veiled request here. I know you are. You're going to do even better than what I'm inferring. And in verse 22, and one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. I'm going to come to your house eventually, hopefully, if I get out of prison. So why don't you have a guest room ready for me? And it's all going to be a great, a great time. I'm going to come see you, you know. So all of this is part of the accountability. And he mentions Epaphras in verse 23. This is the same Epaphras mentioned in the, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 7, chapter 4, 12. Epaphras is probably the pastor of the church at Colossae. Uh, and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. This is a great epistle, and I just want to end by sharing here um, a couple of, I, I think, important analogies or applications that can be drawn from this story in the five minutes that we have left. A great preacher who's gone on to be with the Lord now, J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee said, quote, that the book of Philemon reveals Christ's love for us in pleading our case before God, end quote. That, in other words, that just as Paul pleads for Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to receive him again, Jesus stands in our defense as the mediator between God and man, and he died on the cross to reconcile man to God. In other words, Jesus is pleading as the great intercessor on our behalf to the Father to forgive us of our sins. He's the great intercessor. God, Jesus is the one who bridges the gap between a perfect and holy God and us as sinful humanity. And so when, when we ask the Lord for forgiveness, the Bible talks about how, how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So he's pleading. He's our advocate. He's pleading on our, on our behalf. So the, the, the letter to Philemon is, is, a, is a beautiful picture because Paul is like this type of Christ in the analogy where he's pleading with Philemon, forgive the one who has offended you. Martin Luther said that, quote, we are all the Lord's Onesimuses. We are all the Lord's Onesimuses. We are all rebels, in other words, who have all gone astray from God. We're slaves to sin who owe a debt that we cannot pay. And just like Paul, Jesus says to the Father, charge their debt to my account. You know, Paul is saying to Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything, he has a debt he can't repay, charge it to my account. This, this is what Christ has done for us. So this is a beautiful letter that paints a picture of what Christ has done. Christ paid the debt for us that we owed that we couldn't pay. Everybody get this? It's a beautiful analogy here in, in this letter. And the other important analogy, I think, uh, in this letter is, is that God always seems to put us in situations, in case you haven't noticed, 
where sometimes we have to be like Philemon and sometimes we have to be like Onesimus. What I mean by that is there are often occasions in our lives where sometimes we have to forgive and sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. You know, Philemon was in a position where he needed to forgive. Onesimus was in a position where he needed to be forgiven and he needed to ask for forgiveness. And this, again, is part of what Paul is saying to Onesimus as the reason why I'm sending you back. Because you have to own up to what you've done and you're going to have to ask forgiveness from Philemon. You've wronged him. And, you know, listen, this is what Christianity requires of us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I think it's around verse 23, Jesus talks about if you're presenting your gift at the altar to God, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. King James has ought against you. That, that you remember there's an offense that you've created, that somebody has against you. Jesus says, I want you to leave your gift at the altar, and I want you to first go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come back and present your gift. In other words, that God doesn't even really cherish our worship if we have unresolved issues with someone in our lives. And the, and the onus is on us. If we know that someone has ought against us, someone is offended towards us, they have an offense towards us, we are to take responsibility. We're not to sit there and go, well, you know, if they really have offense against us, then it's on them to, you know, to, to, to confront me about it. No, it, the onus is actually put on us when we know that someone else has been offended by us. We don't wait until they come and bring it to our attention. If we believe that someone is offended because of something we've done, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we need to leave what you have at the altar, because God's not impressed with that as much as he loves reconciliation where there's been wrong. And so we need to be careful that if, if we're in the Onesimus in life, where we've wronged someone, that we do what we can. Romans twelve fifteen is another great verse. It talks, if, it, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That there's a responsibility that we share as a Christian that when we know we're at odds with someone, we need to make it right. And we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to say we're sorry. And, and, we, and, and listen, the response of the other person is up, is up to them and the Lord. We're not responsible for how... You might, you might do the best you can and say, listen, I feel like that there's an offense I've created or that you might have against me. You know, I feel like there's tension or there's... I'm not even sure what I've done wrong or maybe I am sure and I just need to ask for your forgiveness. They might look you square in the eyes and say, I'm ready to bop you in the face. I really don't want to forgive you. Thank you very much. And okay, their response is, between, is up to them. That's their responsibility and between them and the Lord. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to do what we can, however, where we know there's an offense, to do what we can to make it right. And then we leave the response, that's between them and the Lord, okay? As far as it depends on us, where it's possible, be at peace with all men, Romans 12, 15. So that's the Onesimus part. Sometimes we're going to be like Onesimus in life. We have to say we're sorry, we have to make restitution, we have to do, you know, we have to make things right. If we've offended someone, if we've, you know, in this case, like stolen from someone, we got to make it right. That part's on us. And then there are other times in life where we are Philemon, where somebody's wronged us, somebody has offended us, uh, somebody has, um, you know, taken advantage of us, betrayed us, whatever, whatever word fits. 
And we need to forgive. And whenever I talk about this issue, I can hear in, in, in my mind or my heart, you know, I just always feel like the Lord is like reminding me of people who have had deep, serious offenses. And you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, you know, it's easy for you to say, forgive, Pastor G, you have no idea what I've been through. And I don't necessarily. All I can tell you is that if you really want to be free, it comes through forgiveness. I'm not trying to suggest it's easy. I'm not trying to say that it's one and done. Sometimes forgiveness is a process. But what I am saying is that Scripture tells us we need... Here's, here's a great verse, Colossians 3.13. It's not an easy verse, but it's an important verse. Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. The first part of that verse talks about bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another and then adds, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How is it that Christ has forgiven us? When you stop and think about the wonderful forgiveness that, that you are the recipient of, that I am the recipient of, from Christ, God says now, I want you to demonstrate that towards others who have wronged you or offended you. Even in, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in what we've commonly called the Lord's Prayer, there's a, there's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer about, of course, you know, f- forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. But at the end of the Lord's Prayer, that's the one part that Jesus reemphasizes, the forgiving other part. Because in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus adds, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, he he was not teaching that believers earned God's forgiveness by forgiving others. That that would be contrary to, to God's free grace and mercy. However, what he is saying is that if we have truly experienced God's forgiveness, then we will have a readiness to forgive others. And so that part is on us. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And here's another important verse, uh, too, to, to remember. And it's Hebrews twelve fifteen, And it says, See to it that no bitter root springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. In fact, the first part of that verse says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. In other words, there's the potential when we are wronged for bitterness to take root. And again, the the way to healing and and the path to freedom is to exercise forgiveness. And so sometimes we're like Onesimus in life, and sometimes we're like Philemon. It's all about forgive and be forgiven. Forgive and be forgiven. Forgive and be forgiven. And may the Lord help us to live out our faith in a genuine way where sometimes we're like Philemon, sometimes we're like Onesimus, but in all ways 
we glorify Jesus. Amen. The New Testament letter of Philemon is a short book to study, but the message of forgiveness is powerful. It also points you to the grace given as forgiveness for everyone's sins by the blood of Jesus. Everyone knows what it feels like to be wronged, and Jesus was no exception. He faced rejection and ridicule during his time on earth, yet he still chose to go to the cross. He died for wrongs he hadn't committed, wrongs that had been done against him and would be throughout time. Jesus' blood shed on that day is enough to forgive you. Have you accepted Jesus' sacrifice for your sins? If not, today is a great day to do this. We'd love to pray with you. So please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a Bible teaching church as well. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're welcome to join us here at Cornerstone Chapel. We gather each Sunday and Wednesday to explore God's Word and worship Him together. And we spend time getting to know each other better. You'll find all the information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 